Hang on, Abby's calling. Hang on a quick sec. She knows we're recording. I don't think she does. Hi. Oh, hi. God, I always call you on Thursdays. I know. Gabe's like, she knows we're recording. And I'm like, Gabe, stop it. And she goes, I hate Abby. And I was like, don't. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) Gabe's like, shut up. I'm I'm lying. I'm lying for fun. What? All right, should we just fucking get in this? Let's All get right. in it. Because, like, I have so many emotions. I want to set yeah. fire to just anything in front of me. Don't right. okay. Don't cross my path. Before today. we start anything this yeah. episode, I just want to say to everybody, I am not super familiar with the terminology used today for disabilities, Intel- intellectual yeah. disabilities. Um, And this was... I mean, they said the R word like 50 times in this episode. So um, I'm going to do my best. But if we say something that isn't the correct terminology or whatever, like, please inform us if, you know, I'm, right. I'm going to do my best. But I'm I'm not really in that world that much. Like, I don't know as much as I. Yeah, you know. we actually had a listener, Sabrina, who. Congrats been... on your engagement and baby, by the way. Congrats <laughs> little... on your engagement and baby, Sabrina. The little turtle. But we we were trying to set it up so that we could do a little interview with her. It didn't work out for us to be able to do that. So I sent her a list of questions trying to clarify some stuff throughout this episode because she works at a place that's represented in the episode. So if I hear back from her, then I kind of want to go over that. She did say she was working on answering the questions, so it might be something that I just tack on later. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for saying that because... It's something that I care a lot about getting right. Yeah. I want people to be respected and like, Mm -hmm. you know, the terminology used correctly to respect them. Right. And uh, I don't know what I'm doing. So if I say something that's weird, yeah, please email and and teach. I mean, it's not your job to teach us, but if you feel like it, toss us an email and be like, that was weird. This is what it actually is. I'd be like, thank you. Yeah. So. Yeah. Because we've, if you listen to old episodes, we have been corrected since then. And I'm like, how do I edit that to say the right thing? Because I don't, you know, with different things. But anyway, welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Tasha. I'm Gabe. We are on season three, episode 22, competence. I don't even fucking like that word now. (laughs) (laughs) The scene opens with an older woman standing in the squad room. I about fucking died. Mm -hmm. This is actor Lois Smith. She has 144 acting credits, but she will always be Dr. Iris Heinemann, developer of pre-crime technology in the greatest movie of the early aughts, fucking Minority Report. Oh my God, that's right. And she gets to be the one to say the movie title in the movie, which she's like, don't trust anyone, just find the Minority Report. (laughs) Wait, the greatest movie of all time? I mean, hold on. (laughs) Did I say, no, I said the greatest movie of the early aughts. Oh, Mm, okay. Doesn't matter. She was in Minority Report and... Wait, can't hardly wait. That was the... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was for Audra. That, that's that's Audra's favorite movie. <laughs> okay. All right, so this lady is in the precinct. Toots asks her if she needs some help. She clearly does. She goes, yeah, I need to report a rape. He grabs Staves. 
and Stabler comes over to introduce himself to her. Yeah, Stabler is on the phone and he just goes, I'll call you back and like hangs up. And I'm like, no one ever fucking says goodbye in a phone call on the show or in on TV or movies. They're like, you want to go on a date? Seven. Great. Click. Like, well, wait, what about <laughs> are you picking me up? Like, is it where are we going? Is it formal? Is it like, do, should I wear anything? Like, do you know where I live? Like, can you give me the address of the plane? Like, just those little details where you're like, because you hang up and then you're just like, I'm just going to stand here until seven o'clock, I guess. <laughs> And I'll just like dissipate and then reform into a sushi restaurant downtown wearing a red dress or whatever the fuck. No. Ugh, whatever. I don't know why that bothers me so much. I mean, if somebody did that to me, if somebody was like, I'll call you back and hung up on me, I'd be like, no, you fucking won't block. (laughs) I don't get treated like this. It's probably his fucking wife, too. It's not that hard. It's not that hard to go. I'll call you back. Yeah. Bye. Right. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. At the end of every phone call. (laughs) Yeah. I love you. Goodbye. Bye. I have to go record my podcast. I love you so much. (laughs) Hugs and kisses. XOXO. Goodbye. Click. And she still was like, wait a minute. I forgot to give you a hug. (laughs) The woman's name is Rebecca Tolliver, and she wants to speak somewhere privately because she needs to report a rape. Stabes takes her to a private room, and she goes on to tell him that she wasn't attacked. It was her daughter, Katie. Katie had been throwing up, so Rebecca took her to the doctor, and Katie's pregnant. And Stabler's like, um, okay. She says Katie's 22, and Stabler's like, listen, Katie's an adult, and if she were raped, she would need to be the one to report it. Mm-hmm. Instead of Rebecca clearing this up now, she says, follow me. Come talk to Katie in the hallway. So Stabler goes out into the hallway. And I get that they're doing this for dramatic purposes, but they really fucking melt I know. introducing Katie to us. They like had her face turned with her hair over her face. And I was like, what? Yeah, her yeah. hair was, was draped in front of her face. So you couldn't see. She's like, Katie, say hello to Detective Stabler. And she turns her head, exposing her face. And she has Down syndrome. And she mm-hmm. says hi to Stabes. She yeah. is played by Andrea Faye Friedman, who's also been in a ton of stuff. Her acting career spans three fucking decades. I recognized mm-hmm. her immediately. And I know why. Because I used to watch Life Goes On when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And... It was Corky's girlfriend, right? Corky's fucking girlfriend. Yep. Corky, of course, was played by Chris Burke, the first primetime main cast member to be played by a person with Down syndrome. So, um... He was supposed to come been... talk to our elementary school. And I was sick that day. And I was fucking <gasps> pissed. Because I love... Loved Corky. Oh my God. Okay, go ahead. Theme song. Theme song. It's the fucking theme song. Benson is talking to Katie in a room. Katie says she's been sick and the doctor said she has a baby inside of her, but there's no daddy and babies need mommies and daddies. Stabler and Katie's mom, Rebecca, are watching on the other side of the glass. I only say on the other side of the glass and then say a thing if Craigan is there, just so you know. Okay. Okay. It's not Craigan's bunker when he's not there. No. He brings the fantasy with him. Exactly. I get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So right now they're just in a regular schmegular room. With a glass window, yeah. Yeah. And they're like, why aren't the walls made of cotton candy? <laughs> oh, Craigan's getting coffee. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Rebecca tells Stabler that Katie's father left when she was born garbage human but she can't think of anyone that's shown any interest in katie or is bothering her in any way right but they're not together most of the day katie goes to a day program and has a part-time job at a grocery store rebecca says that she's never talked to katie about sex because katie quote has a mind of a child and would never understand which okay that's the whole fucking thing what do you mean that's just stupid i'm gonna talk about this all in the chaser because that's a very um i just feel like everybody should be taught stuff about sex oh 
Yeah. That's what I meant. What did you? We'll get into it. Okay. There's a lot to it. Back in the room, Benson asks Katie if she knows where babies come from. Katie's kind of shy and adorable and says she doesn't want to say because her mom will get mad. But Benson assures her that it's just a couple of girls talking and her mom said it was fine to talk about it. Katie says that babies come from sex. She says sex is when a mommy and daddy kiss and hold hands. Benson asks if she does that with anyone. And then Katie's like, I'm going to fucking hurl. (laughs) So Benson takes her to go barf. Yeah. On the other side of the glass, Rebecca rushes to get Katie to help, but Craig comes in and stops her. What? I'm going to fucking hurl. I got chunks to blow, bitch. I got to go. <laughs> um, but Craig, Sorry, just the way you said it was great. Craig comes in and stops her and says Stabler's going to need a ton of info for the report and to keep talking to him. She's like, I'm going to go check on Katie first and then I'll help Stabler out, okay? She wants him to find the son of a bitch who did this to us and runs off. And Stabler's like, did this to us? That's kind of weird. Craig tells mm-hmm. him that this woman has spent her entire life taking care of a special needs child who is now an adult. And then Benson walks in. Stabler thinks that the mom did Katie a disservice by not teaching her about sex. And Benson says that Katie's not going to be able to tell them who raped her without knowing what was happening to her. You know, if she doesn't know what sex is, she doesn't know she was Mm -hmm. raped. And if they educate her, the jury will think they coached Katie. So it's a whole fucking thing. Craig is going to call Wong to do an evaluation and he wants to check with Katie's doctor too. In the squad room, Stabler introduces mom Rebecca and Katie to Huang. Rebecca's getting irritated with all this talking to new people. She wants to wait until tomorrow, but the more time that passes, the less likely they'll catch the guy. But she decides that she doesn't want to put Katie through anymore today and leaves to take Katie home. Stabler's irritated that Rebecca thinks that she can just file a complaint and they'll do the rest and they have to find another way in. Katie's doctor confirmed the pregnancy and that she had sex multiple times, but there's no way to tell if it was forced. She goes to that day center five days a week and works at a nearby grocery store. Two blocks. Two blocks away. (laughs) (laughs) And works at the obviously two blocks away grocery store, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Cragen sends Benson and Stabler to the day center and Munch and Toots to the grocery store. Huang says that Katie would have been tested before she was placed, so he wants a copy of that to be able to better assess her abilities. Mm -hmm. At the Manhattan Adult Day Center, the guy who runs the day program is telling Benson and Stabler that Katie's IQ is around 55. I'm going to get into this a little more in The Chaser, but that puts her at about the same level as a seven-year-old. Jacoby's seven, so keep that in mind moving forward here, okay? Okay. So when they measure your IQ, that number is attached to an age. It's kind of tied in with maturity as well, and it can be very easily tied in with maturity, but it's a capacity thing. Like what you're able to, you couldn't explain algebra to Jacoby because he has the ability to absorb that as much as a seven-year-old has an ability to absorb that. Right. So knowing that her IQ is at 55, that is how they determine she has a childlike mind. Okay. okay. The dude thinks that Katie would understand what's happening to her more if her mom let her out of her cocoon. He thinks Katie's mom, Rebecca, is overprotective. He also thinks that Katie's capable to thrive on her own. She does a lot of art and music therapy and life skills training at the day center. Rebecca won't let Katie take their independent living, dating, and sex education classes, though. Benson wants to know how carefully they screen their employees, and he says they do background checks and references and have never had a problem. Katie's got a best buddy, too. His name is Danny Jordan. 
again. At this day center, they supervise their clients very closely, so this dude doesn't think that her and Danny are, quote, more than just friends. And Danny's taken the sex ed and dating classes. Mm -hmm. Benny and Stabes are now talking to Danny along with the teacher. This actor who plays Danny does not have a disability IRL, okay? His, yeah. It's James Badge Dale, and he's been in a ton of shit, including The Departed and World War Z. He's got like a billion acting credits. Mm -hmm. I don't know. This is this is before when it was like, yeah, we can give a acting job of playing a trans person to a cis dude, you know? Right. Yeah. So I was just like, I wasn't surprised to find out that he was someone without a intellectual disability. So Danny says that he knows what sex is. He never told Katie what it was, though, because the teacher says she has to learn it at school first. Danny says that he and Katie haven't had sex. Stabler asked him if Katie ever told him someone was bothering her. Danny has a little moral dilemma here because he promised Katie that he wouldn't say anything. So he doesn't want to tell Stabler. Stabler tells him that he's a cop and Danny has to tell him to help Katie. And he's like, all right, well, fucking Ray, the bus driver is mean to her. He takes things from her and he's touched her. Munch and Toots are at the grocery store where Katie works. Her boss tells Munch that Katie came into work crying, saying her bus driver pushed her. The boss went out and yelled at Ray, the bus driver. And last month, this boss dude fire a frozen food manager guy because he called her an imbecile. And I was like, people are so fucking fucked up, you know? Right. He says that shit like that almost never happens besides like a random ignorant fucking person shopping. Right. He's on the board of the day center and he doesn't tolerate that kind of abuse. I am sitting here watching this going, yeah, I like this guy. He seems yeah. great. Oh my God. I My note was, oh my God, it's him, isn't it? <laughs> when I saw your note, I'm like, you fucking genius. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm over here like, you want to babysit my kids? <laughs> <laughs> This is why I'll never... Mm -mm. You want to babysit my kids? <laughs> no. So he says that Katie sweeps and stocks stuff and does shit around the store. Munch says, ugh, must be cheap labor. And this boss dude like stops in his tracks and says, they make union wages detective and learn how to live in the real world. I get employees who don't complain, don't leave, and work harder than some people who aren't disabled, end quote. He doesn't know of anyone else who would be bugging Katie. Now we're in the squad room. Cabot doesn't think that they can arrest the bus driver without Katie telling them what he did. So this bus driver's name is Ray Dunstan. He's 52 and has no rap sheet. But he was fired last year from a retirement home for stealing from residents. He wasn't arrested because he claimed the residents gave him gifts and he preyed on people with like dementia and there was no way to prove it. Which, just fuck you, guy. Yeah. Do you notice how he works with a vulnerable population? Elderly people, people with disabilities. Fuck you, bus yeah. driver Ray. Yeah. So Elliot gets off the phone with Rebecca. He promised them a trip to the zoo if she lets them talk to Katie. At the zoo, Katie and her mom are sitting on a bench watching the seals and having a great fucking time. Oh my God. I were... love the seals at the zoo. <laughs> yeah. One time we got to watch them feed them and it was great. Benson and Stabler and Cabot walk up. Mom leaves with Stabler to give the ladies some space. She's like, oh, I've got kids. They love it here. She's like, oh, we can relate to each other. She sort of opens up then and says that when she got pregnant, she dreamed of her child graduating, getting married, having kids, and someone taking care of her as she got older. Rebecca is telling Stabler then that she has a hard time taking care of a completely dependent child, and she can't imagine doing that with her daughter and her daughter's baby. Mm -hmm. Stabler tells her that the teacher thinks that Katie has a lot of potential to be independent. And then mom says, Scott Lucas, the dude that they were talking to, the teacher,
teacher from earlier, thinks you can teach anybody anything. I let Katie out into the world and look what happened. Mm. So my heart really hurts for mom at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cabot and Benson are over on the bench with Katie and they're asking who she's allowed to say no to. She's not allowed to say no to her teachers or to her mom. They ask her if she can say no to the bus driver and her demeanor changes and she just says I don't want to talk about him. She says if she talks about him something's going to happen to her mom. Oh my god. He stole a necklace from her that had a picture of her mom in it. He threatened to hurt Katie and her mom if she told on him so Katie lied to her mom and said that she had lost the necklace. What a piece of shit. What a fucking piece of shit. Yeah. Katie then tells Benson and Cabot that Ray pinches her on her shoulder and her butt and her chest and as she's telling them more she's getting progressively more upset and she starts crying and calls for her mom this is where i'm like she's such a good fucking actor i know she was like mom yeah Yeah. mom runs over she's pissed because they upset katie badly right i mean yeah of course she's upset Mm -hmm. she says this is over we're going home and they take off cabot tells benson and stabler that they didn't get enough proof that the bus driver ray raped katie but they have enough to get a search warrant for his place fuck yeah munch and twos are led into ray's apartment it's a fucking shithole and it's super small i felt like such an asshole saying that you can tell he's a piece of shit because his apartment is small i just (laughs) was like oh munch immediately finds katie's necklace It was pulled tight across the floor like a tripwire and Munch <laughs> ate shit over it and was like, here it is. It was sitting on a coffee table with a wily e. Coyote yes. magnifying glass over the yeah. top of it. And a sign that says Katie's necklace with an arrow pointed <laughs> <laughs> So now we're at the bus. You see Ray knocking on the side of the bus. He's like, hey, get out of it. Like, keep up. Hurry up. He's a real hump. Okay. <laughs> he's a real hump. <laughs> he grabs a kid by the arm and pulls him out of the bus. And he's like, I'm late for Oprah. Benson and Staler show up to arrest him. He doesn't know what he did and why they're there. And they fucking slam him against the bus. And Ray says, this is brutality. And Staler says, when a cop tells you to do something, you should do it. And I fucking hated that. Yeah, but I hate Ray more. Yeah, I know. Like, fuck Ray, but still, I was like, no. Yeah, this is one of those moments where we're supposed to go, yeah, but I only did that because Ray's a piece of fucking trash. Yeah. And he was being mean to kids with disabilities. Yes. I don't fucking like that. In the interrogation room, Ray is bitching to Benson and Stabler that the bus company is going to fire him for leaving the van on the side of the road. Benson's like, you're going to get fucking fired for stealing from passengers anyway, so who gives a shit? And the dude says, which one of those R words? I'm not saying it. No. Which one of those R words told you that? Stabler, he gets fucking pissed and he tells him not to use that word around him again, which is really funny because this dude throws around he, she all the time, but like doesn't like <laughs> the R word. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but it was just an example of like how fucking weird shit was yet we were figuring i don't know whatever well and i really like this i really liked this stabler because he's like "Mm," and he gets in his face about it he's like don't use that word around me again and also there's so much hooray for the 90s shit happening right now i just wanted to throw out like a little bitty psa our listener ranges the age the age ranges are pretty wide but if you still call things r-worded you know what i'm saying or gay to indicate that they're dumb or that you disagree with them fucking stop doing that yeah it's not edgy or funny it's very it's a gross thing that was done in the 90s that needs to get fucking left behind i'd hate it i hate it yeah just it's like just stop it's the very least thing that you can do the very (laughs) least thing yeah (laughs) it doesn't even make you a good person that you don't use those words it just makes you less trash (laughs) yeah well it's like i'm gonna stop saying the r word i'm a fucking ally (laughs) you know and you're like no just stop (laughs) i'm a fucking fucking ally (laughs) 
just fucking stop. Just stop doing it. To, to make life changes, you just do a tiny little bit at a time. And if today's is, I'm not going to say the R word anymore, or even for the next week, you know, do R word February. Just like cut it out of your... <laughs> Cut it out of your language for for the rest of the month. It's fucking March first. You're like, oh my god, it was so <laughs> oh long. God, R word, Feb- R word, R word. <laughs> February was so R word. This can't. meatloaf is R word. <laughs> whatever the fuck, Jesus. People are. I hate everything. All right, fuck. Anyways, here we go. And gets in his face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they've got Ray in the interrogation room. He's a piece of shit. He just said the R word. Stabler's like, don't gets in his face. Ray says he didn't steal anything from anybody and then Benson's like oh yeah just like the quote gifts from the patients at the nursing home you were fired from and he was like Katie gave me this necklace Katie gave me that necklace. Stabler says that Katie told them that he stole it and he says quote oh and it's my word against a moron sorry it slipped out and you see Stabler's fucking face change to like tiny (laughs) butthole anger you know. Mm, Yeah. Ray goes to sit down and Stabler kicks the chair out from underneath him Stabler's fucking pissed. Ray falls on the floor and he's like hey! And Sailor's like, sorry, it slipped up. <laughs> Benson tells Ray that the jury isn't going to have a whole lot of sympathy for somebody that's a perv and takes advantage of intellectually disabled women. And he was like, what? I never touched Katie's breast. Maybe on accident helping them get in and out of the van, but I never went near any of them. Sailor asks how he got her pregnant. And then he starts laughing and they're like, oh, you think rape's funny? And he was like, if she's pregnant, it's not mine. They tell him that they can compare DNA. And he's like, dude, you don't need to. I have a vasectomy. I'm shooting blanks. Which, I mean, that still can happen, but whatever. Yeah, this actor is probably a nice enough guy, but he looked like Steve Bannon to me. And I think part of it was that I hated him. Also, I couldn't remember Steve Bannon's name, but I could see his face in my head. So I Googled creepy racist guy who worked under Trump and my phone T-1000 fucking nitrogen melted in my hand. It was like, (laughs) all of them. (laughs) And then it exploded. In Kragen's office, Stabler tells Kragen that Ray released his medical records and wasn't lying about the vasectomy they're gonna book him for petty larceny though and i'm glad they fucking tied that in a little bow for me because mm-hmm. tie a yellow ribbon round the old oak tree, oak tree. if it's been three long, long years, years you still okay um, Munch and Toots tell them that last year Katie's day center was investigated. There was an anonymous phone call saying some bad shit was going down there. They couldn't get anyone to talk and it went nowhere. The day the investigation started, a teacher named Joe Parker quit. Go get him, boys. Okay. At the special <laughs> needs school, <laughs> Joe Parker, who's teaching an art class, tells Munch and Toots that he left because he got a better job and he had to start right away. It was just a coincidence that it was the same day that the investigation started. Joe said that he has nothing but nice things to say about the day center and Munch asks him point blank why he called the state. Joe's like, wasn't me. I was mm-hmm. not the anonymous tip. And Munch pulls out a tape recorder <laughs> of the anonymous tip and it's literally right on the right spot and it's ju- he just like holds it up and out of the recorder you hear, yeah, it's the truth. Somebody's abusing clients at the Manhattan Adult <laughs> Day Center. This is definitely <laughs> Joe Parker calling. <laughs> I, I work there and I'm <laughs> I'm planning on leaving the day the investigation starts. If you guys start an investigation, let me know in advance because I will leave that day. I don't have anything lined up, but maybe I can get a job by then. Joe Parker calling. <laughs> I'm 6'2", black hair. My number is 555-1212. Again, this is Joe Parker. I work with adults at the Manhattan Adult Day Center. I've worked there for a while. I will not be helping in an investigation moving forward, so please do not record this message. Beep. Just kidding. I don't have to do that part. Joe Parker. (laughs) So he's like, 
you got me. That's me. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. All right. It was me, Joe Parker. He says, yeah. <laughs> so he says, yeah, me, Joe Parker. I made that call, I guess. But that's all he wants to say. Yeah, I made the call. I'm not saying anything else. That makes me never want to make an anonymous tip or call ever. Yeah. Oh, it's, oh, it's recorded? Awesome. Because a detective's going to come in and pull out his talk boy from Home Alone 2 and be like, oh, yeah, <laughs> this is you. <laughs> He was like, I'm not covering anything up. Like, I didn't do anything. The company was doing stuff. They're covering shit up. Because they at first were like, oh, were you fucking molesting kids and left? Yeah. And he's like, nope. But I quit because of the center director, Scott Lucas. He Mm -hmm. got one of the clients pregnant. (gasps) And that's the cover up. Yeah. And we're like, oh, my fucking God. Of course, it's the guy. So back at the day center, Benson and Stabler are talking to the director again, Scott Lucas. We know he means business because his hands stay on his hips the whole time he's standing. (laughs) Like a kid being Superman. He's like, I know this looks bad. Okay. And they're like, cool. Make it look better. What's up? He goes, it's true that a client got pregnant, but I was not involved. So last year, one of their 17-year-old clients ended up pregnant and was scared when confronted about it and blamed it on him. I was like, "Mm, sure. I know. Yeah. Right? Well, it turned out one of the male clients admitted that he was the father. After the DNA test was taken, it was confirmed that it was this other client and not Scott Lucas. Yeah. I'm still like, oh, it's going to be this guy because just because it turned out to be a another client doesn't mean that you weren't abusing a client. Scott says he didn't call the police because he wanted to handle it internally. That's when he started the dating classes and the sex education classes so something like that wouldn't happen again. He says that a lot of the clients have minds of children but the bodies of adults complete with hormones and this could easily happen again unless Katie's mom stops sheltering her from reality. Benson and Stabler are doing a walk and talk. Benson thinks that Scott's not wrong about Katie's mom. Stabler's going to talk to mom and try to get her to let Katie talk to Wong. So I had no idea that she worked at a fucking greenhouse. (laughs) I was just like, why are they in a fucking jungle? And then it like later I was like, okay. Inside, I wrote, in some jungle, mom refuses to let them talk to Katie again. She doesn't want her going through this anymore. And then Saber's like, well, who are you really trying to protect? And then she gets upset and says if he thinks this is because of her guilt, he's wrong. And Stabler says that it's not her fault that Katie got raped. She says that everything bad that happened is her fault because she didn't have an abortion when she was pregnant with Katie. And she chose to have a child with Down syndrome and it ruined her marriage. And Katie is her entire life. She needs to protect her. Oh, I just hate it. Okay. The whole abortion thing and like the mom being so like just whatever look at there she needs to protect her stabler says in order to do that they need to find out who did this she needs to let them talk to katie at the day center where she's comfortable in her own surroundings they're going to bring in the assistant da so that katie doesn't have to repeat herself over and over obviously mom says yes because now they're back at the day center wong and cabot are talking to katie Huang asks katie the names of the different body parts She's laughing and having a good time. Wong asks her what her and Danny do together. And she says they talk and eat lunch. I love the way she says lunch, by the way. It was adorable. She's like, lunch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we eat lunch. I, lo- I love when they're going over the different body parts. She's like, arm, shoulder, whatever. And he points at his chest and she's like, boob. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wong asks if her and Danny touch each other, and she says yes. Wong asks Cabot to stand up and then asks Katie to point to where her and Danny touch. She says holding hands and kissing, but she says that Danny doesn't touch her private parts. She, Katie thinks that she got her baby from her and Danny kissing. Yeah, she's so precious. It was a response to Huang asking her, where do you believe that babies come from? And, she, and she's so sweet, but she's like, kissing, stupid. 
She's like, this guy doesn't know shit. Yeah, she looks at Cabot and goes, your friend doesn't know anything. <laughs> In the hallway, Cabot tells Katie's mom what she said. Scott Lucas doesn't think that this happened at the day center because they are monitored so closely. Cabot won't arrest Danny because Katie's corroboration isn't enough because of her intellectual disability. And she can't get a DNA test until the baby is born. And Katie's mom's like, whoa, no, we're terminating the pregnancy tomorrow. Fucking, wanted to say George Lucas. Scott Lucas gets mad. <laughs> And he's like, does Katie fucking know? She's like, well, I was going to tell her tonight. Scott Lucas is like, what does she have to say about it? It's her decision. The mom says, who's going to take care of Katie and the baby when I'm gone? Mm -hmm. Because she's the one who's taking care of Katie right now. Yeah. And she's also worried because somewhere they said something about it being like a 50-50 chance that... The likelihood of Katie having a baby with Down syndrome is much higher. It's a 50-50 chance. Scott Lucas says that Katie will get all the support that they can provide her. And the mom is like, I just don't want Katie going through that. Katie overhears mom say that she can't keep this baby and she gets upset and wants to know why she can't be a mommy, which was just like heart-wrenching. Oh, I had chills this whole scene. I know. Mom hands Stabler the address to the clinic and says that they can get their DNA sample tomorrow. Did you see how Katie squeezed Stabler's hand as they were leaving? I know. As mom and Katie are walking away, Katie's begging her mom to let her keep her baby. Ugh. In the woman's Papa clinic, don't preach. I'm in trouble deep. In the woman's clinic, Katie and mom are getting all checked in, and Benson hands the office lady a subpoena for a tissue sample. All of a sudden, Scott Lucas and a lawyer walk in. Mr. Lucas got an injunction to stop the abortion, depending on the outcome of the guardianship hearing. This receptionist is like, if one more of these motherfuckers comes in with a blue goddamn pamphlet, I swear to God, like every person in a fucking duster comes in and they're like, hey, here's some official paperwork. She's like, Jesus Christ. And they're all intense about it. And she's like, I just do appointments. Like, stop acting like I have anything to do with any of this. Scott tells mom that Katie has a right to keep her baby. But mom insists that Katie is not capable of making that decision. In the squad room, Cabot's in a Benny and Stabe sandwich walk and talk. The problem with this, Cabot says is that if the court finds Katie competent to care for her baby, then her rapist will argue that she is competent enough to consent to sex. Her rapist lawyers will argue that. And that's all the defense is going to focus on. Cabot doesn't even know if it was rape because they're not sure about the boyfriend Danny at this point. Katie is 10 weeks pregnant and Cabot wants her to get a CVS test. It comes with a really long receipt and it is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got <laughs> Stupid. It's actually not, it's not the convenience store. It's chorionic villus sampling. Okay. So it's when they go in and they fucking get some tissue from the placenta lining to get the fetus's DNA. The only way that they're going to get Katie's mom to cooperate with them doing this is by telling her that she can find out through this testing if the baby has Down syndrome or not. Yeah. Which may change her views on terminating the pregnancy. Yeah. Which that's a whole other thing. Outside of mom's work, Benson and Stabler are there to ask her about the placenta thing. But mom runs up panicking saying that Katie was supposed to be at school, but she never got there. So everybody's like, oh shit. In the squad room, Toots tells Cragen that the day center said that Danny called in sick this morning. Danny's shares an independent living apartment and his parents live up in Riverdale. It makes sense to everybody that Danny and Katie would go on the run together because of the baby and stuff. Danny's been on his own for a while and he's probably thinking for the both of them. Olivia talked to Danny's parents and they used to have an apartment in the city and everybody kind of thinks that they probably went there because they're going to look for somewhere familiar. Danny lives with a roommate named Andy McCollum and they need to go talk to him. Munch and Toots are at Danny's apartment to talk to Danny's roommate Andy. I fucking love this guy. He's, he's yeah, in a wheelchair lo- and he's just fucking like whipping around. Like he's just yeah. fucking rad. I just love this guy. And he's sassy as fuck. He's got a fucking attitude and he's loyal to his friend. And I love yeah. that. And uh-huh. you can tell by the way he talks about Danny. He treats him like a person, which 
is unfortunately often not the case when it comes to people with intellectual disabilities. You right. know, he tells Munch and Toots, Danny didn't tell me where he went. We don't answer to each other. <laughs> and he's only given him one liners, one line responses. He's not fucking around with these guys. Munch and Toots mm-hmm. are like, come on, guy, help us out. He might have run off with that girl. And he's like, it's free country. <laughs> Munch and Toots tell him that she has Down syndrome and that they need to find her. They say this to him like he's not informed. So Andy mm-hmm. looks at him and goes, so her mother can abort the baby. Danny told me about it. OK, I fucking love this dude. Yeah. Yeah. Toots goes, come on, Andy, with the attitude. Gave him a little (laughs) nickname over there. (laughs) We're just trying to make sure that they're safe. Andy kind of gets it at that point and is like, all right, well, he said that he saw them this morning. Danny took some clothes from the apartment and he took off. He also asked Andy for some money, but he didn't have any cash on him. So Andy just gave him his debit card. And Toots is like, dude, he could clean you out. He goes, if you can't trust Danny, you can't trust anyone. Yeah. And I love this guy. I love his love for Danny. I love that he's a because outside of family, it's hard to find people that will like love and protect the vulnerable population. Like they need to be loved and protected. And I love that. Yeah. Andy's my favorite. He's yeah. On the street, Benson Stabler pull up to Danny's old neighborhood where his parents lived and Munch tells them that he used Andy's ATM like right here. Danny coincidentally lives literally two blocks from where they're at. They said two blocks. Benson goes, well, Danny lives about two blocks from here. And I'm like, (gasps) this it's real. It's It's real. real. It's a real thing. And I never caught on to that earlier in my life watching SVU. I can't believe it. They're going to split up and ask the businesses in the neighborhood if anyone recognizes Danny and Katie. Now we're at the Avco Pharmacy. Munch and Toots are talking to this guy and he remembers them and he's so cute. And he was like, oh, they were so cute. They were holding hands. They came in to look for stuff to help Katie because she was fucking barfing again. Yeah. But she was pregnant and the guy sent her to the grocery store to get ginger ale and didn't want to give her any like over-the-counter medicine. Right. So at the grocery store, Benson and Stabler are talking to some guy and he's saying he remembers them. They came in right before lunch and cleaned them out of diapers and bottles and all that shit. Over his readers, he tells the detectives, also, they bought some ginger ale. Her husband said she was puking. The way he said yeah. puking, puking, like with a hard Y. <laughs> Oh, it just made me laugh. Katie asked for a job and said that she had some experience working in grocery stores. Danny filled out an application for her. This guy also makes sure to tell them that he could tell she was, quote, slow, but stocking shelves isn't rocket science, which is an unnecessary yeah. gold star for you, fucking guy. Yeah, I, I didn't even put it. Just, it, just, I, it just made me annoyed. Yeah. I could tell she was slow, but right. stupid. Like, why are you telling detectives that you're thinking about hiring somebody and why? Like, and what don't. does that have to do with anything? Yeah, nothing. So obviously Benson and Stabler got the address off the application because now they're in the Broadway arms. Three days after my birthday, by the way, it was May 6th. <laughs> Benson and Stabler are, are talking to Katie in this hotel room. She's cooking soup and she's really excited because her mom doesn't let her cook usually. She offers them chocolate milk. I'm just loving this for fucking Katie right now. She's so happy. Danny walks into the apartment and he's upset. He's like, what are you doing here? You guys can't take the baby. And yeah. Stabler's like, we're not here for that. Don't worry. Benson says Katie's mom wants her home. Danny says they're getting married. Stabler says that first they're all going to have to go to a ride to the precinct. And they agree. I love how like Katie was like, this is my bed and this is Danny's bed. And like, this is like, I made it. And like, she's just, she it's, can do stuff, mom. The place you know? is neat as a fucking pin. Yeah. She's just setting up a little bit of an independent life here. She's making a little nest, you know? Yeah. In the squad room, Benson, Stabler, Katie, and Danny come out of the elevator and are met by Katie's mom. Mom starts immediately yelling at Danny, 
And he's like, I didn't hurt Katie. I love her and she loves me. But mom insists that Danny kidnapped and raped Katie. Benson reminds mom that Katie went willingly and Danny said that he didn't have sex with Katie, but he did end up telling Katie about what the teacher said about sex. He goes on to, I just got chills. He, he said, Danny says, Katie didn't believe me when I told her. She said, that's not sex. That's exercise. And I'm like, oh God. Yeah. Somebody told Katie the wrong thing to mm-hmm. abuse her. Oh, now I have chills. All right, in a uh, talking room or whatever, Benson asked Katie to tell her how she exercises. She says that exercising is when you pull your pants down and sit on someone's lap. Benson asks her who taught her that, but Katie says it's a secret. She's afraid to tell because then he won't give her any more ice cream or candy. But then Katie says it's Mr. Cheney, her fucking boss at the grocery store. Oh my fucking God. She says that Mr. Cheney pulled his pants down too and it hurt, but Mr. Cheney told her that it wouldn't hurt when she could do it better. And I was was like I'm gonna throw my computer out the window. Ugh. So Mr. <sighs> Cheney is now in an interrogation room with Munch and Toots, and he's pissed. He looks like a cartoon of Bluto or something, or like uh, The Incredibles Dad or something. The Incredibles Dad. He's got sharp features, but he's like a bigger dude. So yeah, I he- think I think that's correct. He's the dad from The Incredibles. Yeah, totally. He goes, I tried to help Katie, and this is the thanks I get. And these guys are like, um, yeah, she told us about your exercise classes. And he says, the only exercise we did was task repetition. And people like Katie can't distinguish reality from fiction. I don't know where she's getting this story from. They tell him that Katie's pregnant. Munch tells him that they can clear all this up if he gives them his DNA. They can compare it to the baby's. And he'll be right out the door with their sincerest apologies. And Mr. Mm -hmm. Cheney makes a taking a shit face and says, apologize to my attorney. Puke. Made of puke. Made of fucking hurling barf puke. Acid, stomach acid puke. 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 (laughs) Puke. 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 No. In the squad room hallway, Kragen tells Cabot that the second they mention pregnancy, Cheney lawyered up. As soon as they get the tissue sample from the placenta, Cabot wants them to get a hold of her and she'll get a warrant for Cheney's DNA. A handsome man walks up to Cabot and serves her. <laughs> this is really handsome. I don't know. Benson runs up and says that oh, Wong just called. He was just served. And they're like, well, so was Cabot. You're fucking 10 seconds too late. And the guy pops his head around the corner. And he's like, me. <laughs> Yeah. Hi, and he waves. Because they're like, what's it for? And he's like, I just give him. I don't know. It's from Scott Lucas calling Wong and Cabot to testify that Katie is competent to keep her baby. Benson Stabler weren't served because Lucas wanted the judge to hear from a shrink and a lawyer. And I was like, ouch. <laughs> he's like, I don't need your dumb cops. <laughs> Stupid gumshoes. Office of SVU Bureau Chief motherfucking Liz Donnelly. Angela! Yeah. Liz is like, this is no big deal. I'll make the subpoena go away. Because it's compromising an ongoing investigation. Cabot's not sure it's a good idea, but Liz tells her that it is a good idea if they want to take Katie's rapist to trial. Cabot says that Katie's mom is the one that wants the abortion, but maybe Katie should make that decision. Liz tells Cabot that her job is to prosecute crime and she's not a social services crusader. I always love seeing these fucking cunts go toe-to-toe. Like, they're such badasses. I just yeah, love they- it. Every they time. both know their shit. They have mm-hmm. a long-standing relationship. Liz is always like, why is this bitch challenging me? I also love it. Yeah. You know? Yes. Yeah. She respects Cabot because yep. she'll walk all over everybody, but she only respects you if you stand back up to her. Mm-hmm. 
Liz thinks that this whole baby stuff is between Katie and her mother. Cabot starts saying like, oh, I have a duty to the victim. But Liz cuts her off and says to convict her rapist. If Katie's found competent, she's going to lose. Cheney's lawyer will get her to say she knew what she was doing and liked it. He'll destroy her on the stand. Don't let this happen. At the flower store, Cabot tells mom that she's jeopardizing the rape case. Mom turns it around on Cabot, saying that she and Lucas are doing that, not her. Yeah. Cabot tells her that Lucas will drop the challenge of guardianship if she agrees to not terminate Katie's pregnancy. But mom refuses to agree to that. She says Katie needs an abortion and to have her tubes tied so this doesn't happen again. Mom says she knows everyone thinks she's cruel, but she loves her daughter and wishes she would have let Katie take those sex education classes. Cabot then says, why do you need Katie to be so dependent? Mm -hmm. Mom gets upset and says that she sacrificed everything to be a good mom. And Cabot says, including Katie's right to lead her own life. And mom's kind of like, oof. Oh, shit. At the competency hearing, Cabot's on the stand saying that SVU found Katie and Danny in a hotel preparing for Katie's baby. She tells them that the hotel room was immaculate. Katie was cooking. She was being a lovely hostess offering chocolate milk. She had applied for a job, just kind of hitting all the bullet points of her displaying independence. The lawyer asked Cabot why she didn't decline to testify considering there's an open rape case. Cabot thinks that all of the evidence compiled tells us that Katie has coping skills for being independent in the world and can make the decision to have a child or not and katie's mom doesn't look happy our favorite to hate smarmy ass lawyer roger kressler stands up he gets up and wiggles his entire body every single time he gets up (laughs) i'm gonna post this on instagram follow us on instagram at svu pod but i'm gonna post this on instagram and please go check it out because you deserve that chuckle today (laughs) yeah it is so good (laughs) yeah he's physically displaying confidence aloofness smarminess uh, smarminess he's like i got this in the bag all all in just standing up every body part is wiggling independently too there's no rhyme or reason to his wiggles it's so great roger kressler so (laughs) he hands a dd5 filled out by benson in regards to the interview at the zoo he asked cabot to read a highlighted section it says The victim could not articulate what happened to her and expressed unconditional compliance to authority figures. Cabot goes on to tell him that many high-functioning women cannot describe their rape, and he's taking this out of context. Yeah. So then he asks her, how many children do you have? She's like, none. And she also hasn't taken care of a special needs child. This is where Gabe says, oh my God, you don't have to be a parent to blah, 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 blah. I fully agree with that. It's fucked up that he's bringing this into the court. That's not why Mm -hmm. Cabot's there. She's not there to be questioned about her parenting. She is asked there to be questioned as the fucking ADA. Right. So I can guarantee too that if she was a male lawyer on the bench, he would have never asked that. No. The lawyer thinks that Stabler stands up. He's like, I've got fucking kids. Like, (laughs) sit down, Elliot. The lawyer thinks that the fact that Danny and Katie bought a bunch of diapers six months before the birth of a child doesn't show good judgment. I'm going to go ahead and say no, because when you're a first time mom, first, I bought stuff for my kids nursery when I was like nine weeks pregnant because I happened to go to Ikea right after I found out that I was pregnant. And I, I was one of those huge leaves that were like canopy things. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to have a baby. And I bought them. They sat in my house for almost a year because Mm -hmm. that's how long you're fucking pregnant for. Mm -hmm. 
I don't think that's weird at all. No, I, I think that's good. You're I think, excited. Yeah, honestly, I think it's probably smart to stock up on all that shit. Just keep buying more. So the first few months, you don't have to fucking go anywhere or do anything. Whatever. Right. No, I just, I don't think it's weird. I think it's weird that he's nitpicking that shit, but that's his job as a lawyer too, I guess. He asked Cabot if she knew that Katie once set fire to her mother's apartment by trying to use the stove. And Cabot's like, I set fire to my own stove last year, counselor. So there's that. But no, I didn't know that. Yeah. The lawyer's getting pretty sassy and really wiggling his bod and <laughs> tells Cabot that she thinks that she knows more than Katie's own mother what Katie's capable of. He keeps getting objections from the other lawyer. Oh, I fucking hate that shit. And withdrawing them. Because they already yeah. heard you say it and it's in their mind now, you fucking dick. Yeah. Okay. Now we've got Huang on the stand. He says that despite Katie's IQ, she's what they call, quote, high functioning. Huang says that any woman can be sexually assaulted, but he does think that Katie's mother not letting her attend sex ed classes definitely put her in a position to be more vulnerable. Huang also thinks that Katie could take care of the child with the proper education and social service support and case management. In cross-examination, the lawyer asks Wong what his overall ideas were about how Katie can consent to sex. Wong says that Katie didn't know what sex was and therefore was incapable of consenting. The lawyer says that Wong's assessment is based solely on having talked to her at the adult center. So hence his conversation with her was in a vacuum. He didn't mm -hmm. see her at her house or anywhere else. Another objection and he withdraws that statement as well. Mm -hmm. Now Katie's on the stand being examined by stupid lawyer from the Wiggles. I don't want to, I don't want her to because I don't want her to get hurt. I know. Um, he asks her if she loves her mom and she says, of course, my mom's going to be a grandma. She's not allowed to do the laundry or use the stove because her mom says that the stove isn't safe and she messes up the laundry. Mm -hmm. Katie says that she's really excited for the baby and Danny teaches her a lot of stuff. That's when she looks at her mom and says, I can do this, mama. I can do lots of things. Oh. The lawyer asks her how to change a baby's diaper. She hasn't learned that. I argue that a lot of people fucking don't know how to change a baby's diaper and they learn stuff as they go. Like first time mm -hmm. moms, first time, like, I mean, you guys can read stuff, do whatever, but you, there's a lot of shit you were just freaked out because you don't know, right? I mean, it's a fucking baby. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Just like Huang said, with the proper social services and education, she shouldn't have her rights being taken away here. Yeah. And I feel like most people take like some sort of class or read books. They're like, they are learning how to be prepared. I mean, that's why they have like latching fucking coaches and shit because people are like... Yeah, yeah, lactation yeah. consultants and all that stuff is offered. Yeah. I just don't think that's a good argument to use. Oh, do you no. know to... she, He goes on to ask, do you know how to feed a baby? Do you know what to do when a baby has a fever? Do you know, you know, all of this stuff? And then he goes, you don't really know how to be a mommy, do you? And she says, I can learn. Yeah, like so, everybody else. Right. Oh, shit. What? We just got... Um, an email from Sabrina. I was just thinking I would really love her input on this. Okay, I'm going to read this after we're done. Okay. So at this point, mom is getting really upset because Katie is really upset. And mom puts a fucking stop to it, tells everybody to knock it the fuck off. Mm -hmm. In the squad room, Cabot walks in and tells everyone that Katie's mother is giving up her guardianship. Because Katie has been found competent, the rape case against her boss Cheney is out the window. And fucking Bamf Liz is going to be pissed. 
Yeah. Stapler says that the DNA came back and Cheney is the father. Of, Cabot says that Cheney's lawyer is going to say that Katie consented. Benson and Stapler want to talk to Katie again because she was in that dude's fucking office three times a week for their, quote, exercise sessions. But they have to find a way to get around mom again. They're just always trying to find it. It's like five times they've been like, we got to figure out how to get around mom. We got to go to the jungle. We got to get her to um, go to the jungle. (laughs) Got to go to the jungle. Got to go to the zoo. Got to... Yeah. Do something else fun, guys. Go to Six Flags. Yeah, go on an interview or on a roller coaster. Stabler says that if they tell mom they have good news for a change, she might let them talk to Katie, then hands Cabot a file. I hate this good news, though. I hate her reaction to this fucking good. It's just... Well... I mean, I get it, but it's also like... So let's get there. Let's get there. Just because they're Down syndrome doesn't mean... (laughs) I know. I, I know. At a park, Stabler whispers to mom that the child doesn't have Down syndrome. She is extremely relieved... To me, it just sounds like child with Down syndrome isn't worth it enough or good enough. Yeah, like it was easier to disregard thinking that, you know, the kid was going to have Down syndrome. But I think her relief is just in knowing that she's aware of of the difficulties of having a child with Down syndrome. And then her daughter having Down syndrome, she's not equipped mentally, in her mom's opinion, to be able to parent a kid with such high needs, you know? Right. When she has high needs herself. Yeah. Mom was like, you guys didn't have to come all the way down to tell me that, though. What's going on? Benson tells her that they might lose the rape case against Cheney unless they can talk to Katie again. Katie is over at the swings pushing somebody's little baby, and it's super cute. So mom calls her and says, hey, Benson and Stabler want to talk to you. Is that okay? And you can see it's a little taxing for mom to give up some of the control, but she's trying, you know? And Katie is so sweet and just, like, comes up and hugs Benson and Stabler, kind of, like, side hugs. And she's just like, hi, guys. Oh, my God. They do a little park walk and talk. And Katie walks under the monkey bars and does the thing where she touches all the rungs. You know, when you walk under a monkey bar, she's like, boop, 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 all the rungs all the way down. But Stabler's basically crab walking next to her, but he wants to be able to stay at eye level. And I think it's just super fucking sweet. And he must have learned that being a fucking dad. (laughs) Benson asks her if her exercise sessions with Chaney were a secret or if she ever told anybody about them. She said she never told anybody because he would get mad. He got mad one other time when she walked in on him exercising with Marianne. Oh my God. Marianne also worked at the store and lets Katie play with her baby Julie sometimes. Oh, that tells us everything we need yeah. to know. Now we're in a qu- the little courtroom jail holding thing, whatever. Cheney's there, mm-hmm. is in there with his lawyer, and Cabot and Katie walk in. Cheney's pissed. Trevor Langan, lawyer, aka Benny's hot stuff husband. Cheney's pissed. He's like, what the hell is she doing in here to Katie? Cabot says that the DNA results came back and the child is his. And his lawyer says, we'll take sexual misconduct. Cabot's like, Fuck that. <laughs> We're doing one count of rape two for Katie, and he does 10 years. His lawyer's like, we'll take our fucking chances in court. Cabot says, huh, I thought you might say that. And Cabot opens up a file with a but. <laughs> what? <laughs> I just. <laughs> you, did you like my glasses thing? Yeah. Too, and I did it? Okay. It was just really. Uh, sa- the way she said it was really sassy. And I was like, just take note of how sassy she was there. And you just like took great care of that. <laughs> I thought I you might say that. Uh... <laughs> Cabot opened the file with a bunch of pictures of kids in it. Oh, she tells him that these are the children he fathered with the women who worked in his markets, three of which were underage at the time. She's gone through his financials and found out he's been paying the mothers for their silence. And Cabot says, and now you're going to pay for a lot more. 
and hands his lawyer a petition for child support with five more on the way from all the other mothers. Fuck, six kids each receive 17% of his chain grocery stores, his personal fortune, and everything he fucking owns. And I have chills. His face. Oh, she tells him his money is going to take care of Katie and her child for the rest of their lives. Katie's got a big old smile on her face. And on the other side of the glass, mom does too. Toyota! Toyota! (laughs) Oh, oh, man. I think that our writer's room understood that we needed this to have a happy ending. Not only... Can Katie keep her baby and she and Mom's Danny doesn't can, have to worry about her doesn't suck, have to know. worry about her getting taken care of because she's financially fucking set. She can pay for care and help that she needs. Oh, I'm just about happy back about pay. it. The back pay child support too. good. Fuck. Good for them. Oh, uh, chain of grocery stores. That guy's got money. Yeah. Okay, so there were a few questions that popped up for us during the episode. So we were in touch with listener Sabrina. Hi, Sabrina. Hi. So Sabrina works in this field, and I asked her to give us kind of an overview of her job description and the population that she works with. And then she went on to answer the few questions that we had here. So Sabrina says, my role when I started in this field in 2019 is called a direct support professional. And so we would work to support adults with disabilities with the goals that they set with their families and service coordinators. They can range from a variety of outcomes, but our agency is built heavily on a person-centered initiative. So we work diligently to make sure that each person is making informed choices about their hopes and dreams. We're trained to make sure that they all have the education, experience, and exposure to make these decisions. We offer community and vocational services. This is the majority of the people we support. They work toward employment and community integration. And we've recently gone from a day program, like in the episode, to a community and home-based model so that each person can strive toward independence in a more natural setting. We mm-hmm. also offer respite and family supports through our respite in and peer mentoring program. These help give families a break from providing round the clock care to their loved ones and peer mentoring helps students from the school system transfer to an adult program. The last type of service we provide is supported living. So we help coordinate and advocate for people we serve to live independently with as much support as they need, which is considered an essential service. This is the least popular service we provide as of right now, but it sets us apart from the other branches of our agency. They have residential group homes instead of supported living. So like what that tells me is that there are options in between Katie living completely independently on her own mm-hmm. and her mom doing everything. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, Well, I like how she was like, you know, there's different places that they can live mm-hmm. independently or not, or but they get as much support as they need. Yes. You know? Yeah. So I then asked about the terminology. Okay. Mm-hmm. So disabled and mentally challenged were the terms that they used in the episode. And they also referred to the state office of mental retardation. And I was curious if that office title had changed with the changing vernacular. You know what I yeah. mean? And Sabrina says this, the terminology that we use in the field has changed to intellectually slash developmentally disabled or IDD for short since the whole thing's a mouthful. I think the language changes very frequently around this, but as far as the state office of mental retardation, I think they're referring to the New York state office, which is now the New York state office for people with developmental disabilities. Okay. But I'm unsure of when they changed their name. We've changed the terminology within our agency a bit in the last few years I've been working here. Previously, people we support have been referred to as patients, even though they aren't being treated for their disabilities or looking to cure it. Clients consumers, 
What are they consuming, Mm. though, she says. And most recently, individuals. We've had discussions around how we interact with other people in our daily lives, and we would never refer to another person as an individual, and it feels as if we're separating them from the title of people. So I think that people that we serve or support is the perfect way to describe what their relationship is to us. Hmm. My experience in a direct support role has varied among the families that I've worked with, but we're all trained to assume that the person we're supporting is competent. So a lot of times people's families don't give them enough credit for what they can and can't understand, especially if the person is nonverbal. Someone I worked closely with for a few years lost his mom to COVID in September. Oh my God. Mm. Right as his parents were going through a divorce. The parents were not great at communicating with each other, and there was no clear answer to whether or not they were going to tell him about the divorce or just let him figure it out. The same thing happened when his mom got COVID and she spent weeks in the hospital without him being able to see her. Once she passed, a whole week went by before he was told what happened to her, and he actually took it really well. He's mostly nonverbal, but understands most of what people say to him. It's easy for people in this field to discredit the people we're supporting by talking to them like they're children, which is what their parents do, too. I I skipped over the part where she goes into the population she works with, which is um, adults 21 and up. Okay. When it comes to facilitating independence among the people we support, we do our best to make sure they're making informed decisions through education, exposure, and experience. An example of the model we use is vanilla ice cream. You can ask someone if they like ice cream, and they've only ever had vanilla ice cream, so they say yes. But if they've only ever tried one flavor, how do they know if they really like it? Yeah. I like that. Yeah, definitely. As far as their decision-making rights, because that was the, the, I think that was the last thing I asked about. I did. I said, can you give us any insight on the parents' power in your clients' lives? How are the individual's decision-making rights decided? And she said, as far as their decision-making rights, some of the people we support are their own guardians. Some still have family around that act as their rep payees and guardians. Mm-hmm. A lot of times the parents or family of the person will make choices in their best interest, but don't allow them to advocate for themselves to their fullest capacity. So, I mean, it sounds like similar. I mean, they're dealing with people that want the best. Everybody wants the best for the people that they work with, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. She says, I hope this helps in any way. I know it's a lot, but this field has a lot of history and ongoing changes, which it should. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Yeah, thanks, Sabrina. It does really help. And it's nice to hear that you can just tell by the way that you talk about it that you give a shit. And I appreciate anybody who fucking gives a shit. Yeah. Right, let's hear this fucking chaser. I'm not excited about it. No, whatever you're not. it is, I'm not pumped about it. There are so many things about it that are infuriating, and I can just feel your rage already. It's it's inside of me. Your rage is inside of me. I gotta get loose items away from me. You're inside of me. <laughs> <laughs> The name of the victim in this story is protected. This is not her real name, but everyone else's names are real, okay? I gave her my own name before I found that a book was written about this, and that guy gave her a name, which is kind of used quite a bit on the internet, but I didn't go back and change all the names there, so I called her Jamie Darling. Okay. Jamie Darling grew up in an affluent part of New Jersey called Glen Ridge. On March 1st, 1989, 17-year-old Jamie walked to Carteret Park down the street from her house to play basketball. There were a bunch of athletes from her school already there playing and or watching an informal baseball practice. Christopher Archer, one of the boys, approached Jamie and asked her to 
come to a party with him and the other boys that were at the park. Twins Kevin and Kyle Scherzer lived nearby and their parents were out of town. Initially, Jamie didn't want to go, but gave in when Christopher promised her a date with his brother, Paul, whom she had a crush on. He was like the guy in high school, like the mm-hmm. athlete. These were the these were the jacks. OK, mm-hmm. so off they all went to Kevin and Kyle's basement. Jamie carrying a stick that she had found on the way to the park and decided to keep the way a child would. Mm-hmm. Jamie had an IQ of 64. How old is she again? 17. Remember that an IQ of 70 to 75 is considered disabled. To put it into perspective, a 60 to 70 IQ range is equivalent to that of a third grader. So I read a really interesting report on humanrightswatch.org. As always, the link can be found with the episode on our website, svupod.com. But here is a direct quote from that report. I could sit here and read you the whole fucking report. It's so goddamn interesting. But Mm. it said this, quote, for the layperson or non-specialist, the significant significance of a low IQ is often best communicated through the imprecise but nonetheless descriptive reference to, quote, mental age. When a person is said to have a mental age of six, this means he or she received the same number of correct responses on a standardized IQ test as the average six-year-old child. Mm -hmm. So like I was saying before, like way early in the episode, that doesn't necessarily dictate the person being that mental age. Do you know what I'm saying? A standardized IQ test can be different than, you know, you can't measure fucking Snoop Dogg and Martha Stewart's fucking street smarts on, Mm -hmm. uh, in in a standardized IQ test. It's, intellect is nuanced, all right? Yeah. But anyway, so that's where she's at. She's got an IQ of 64. Okay. Back in the basement at Kevin and Kyle's place, Jamie was there surrounded by some of these big deal jock football stars from our high school, including the Scherzer twins, Brian Grober, Peter Quigley, Christopher Archer, among others. They all sound like jock names that a writer made up. They're all their real fucking jock ass names. crazy. These are all upper middle class white kids. The whatever twins. There's always a whatever twins in any group. It's like fucking weird. Almost immediately, Jamie was told to get undressed. So initially there were 13 boys there. At this point, seven of them left. They didn't stop anything. They were just like, "Uh, I'm out of here for this. The rest stayed while they had Jamie perform fellatio on gross. While the rest of them cheered, then multiple of these little pieces of shit took turns raping her with objects, including a broom handle, a dowel, and a miniature baseball bat covered in a plastic bag with Vaseline on it. Oh my God, what the fuck? Following that, they had Jamie masturbate each of them. When it was over, the group told her she could leave and not to tell anyone. She went outside to wait for her date with Paul, Christopher's brother, but that never happened. Obviously. A few days passed before Jamie told her swim coach what had happened. She felt terrible because she didn't want to betray these boys thinking that they were her friends. During this time, these fucking pukes were bragging about what they had done. They were even planning to do it again, but this time they would videotape it. Oh my fucking God. Oh my fucking God. Fucking pieces of shit. Wow. Charlie Figueroa was a teammate on the football team. When he heard these fucking rapists bragging about what they had done, he was the one who told a teacher, which is what got it reported to police. Good. Good for him. Okay. Yeah. On March 22nd, 1989, Glen Ridge High School principal Michael Buonamo called the police. The Board of Education began their investigation. Fucking two months later, six of these little dicks were indicted. Peter Quigley and Paul Archer flipped immediately and agreed to testify in exchange for reduced charges. They also received 
60 hours of community service. That's it? Yeah. Yep. The other four would go to trial. The trial began on October 15th, 1992. The rape happened on March 1st, 1989. Okay. Fucking three years later, three and a half years later, they went to court. What, what, what's that shit they always say about right to a fucking speedy trial? Like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Well, they were out on bail the whole time. They, were, they weren't sitting in jail waiting. <laughs> anyway... <sighs> This trial was so fucking heartbreaking, okay? The prosecutor argued that Jamie was unable to consent, assess the situation, or know what was appropriate because she, quote, had the mind of an eight-year-old. Puke pile defense attorney Thomas Ford hammered away at the fact that Jamie's mom had her on birth control, okay? When Jamie was on the stand, Brian... I'm sorry. I was I was mad when I was typing this, so I was just like dragging everybody. When Jamie was on the stand, Brian Grober's Ziploc full of asparagus piss lawyer, Alan Zagas, <laughs> asserted that Jamie was taken out of school due to her inappropriate conduct. Her mom was like, fuck you. The situation was that she was a potential rape victim. Mm-hmm. This defense attorney, oh, he's just doing his job. He was painting this narrative that Jamie was a little harlot or whatever right. fucking dated shit that he was trying to say. By the time that Jamie got on the stand, shit got fucking terrible. When asked by the prosecutor about her relationship with her rapist, she said she still sort of considered them her friends because she still cared about them. Something to know about Jamie is that she was this nice to everyone and it didn't take much for her to consider someone a friend. All that tells you is she was an easy person to manipulate in this situation. Mm -hmm. The should be dead in a house fire (laughs) defense attorneys questioned her and it was so fucking manipulative. She was asked about that day in the basement if any Anyone told her she couldn't leave. They asked if she went willingly and if she would have done those things in front of an adult. At the end of it, Kevin Scherzer's attorney, Michael Quercus, a.k.a. those Orbeez balls things that YouTubers fill pools with, but with pee. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I was so mad and I forgot that I wrote all that shit. He said this to Jamie, quote, you're proving right now because you can answer questions that you are not R word. And (gasps) she answered, right. If I was R word, I wouldn't know what I was talking about. And he said, perfect, Jamie. It's funny because what he's doing is Mm. he's manipulating her right in front Mm. of the judge and jury and and leading them to believe. His intention is to be like, get her to say what I want her to say. You know, when all you're doing is showing us that she will do that because that's the floor you're laying out in front of her to walk on. You know, it's fucked. Fucking weird. So the defense really tried to paint Jamie as a willing and promiscuous participant. They went to great lengths to convince the jury that it's the early fucking 90s, guys. Teenagers do these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Teenage sex parties, you know? So Paul Archer chief witness for the defense slipped down a hill on his own turd during this time on the stand. The first day, he claimed it was all Jamie. It was all her idea. She made all of the advances, etc. By the third day, he had admitted that he was lying to protect his friends. Mm-hmm. You're not angry enough, are you? I'm... I'm... Please don't. Let's go out into the community. No. Uh, oh, God. Regular people. The Glen Ridge regular ass fucking people had fully rallied around these rapists, these privileged upper middle class white rapists. Brock Turner shit. Yeah. When the defendants were initially charged, school administrators held an assembly at Glen Ridge High School asking the student body to, quote, stand by our boys. 
Oh my God. These guys couldn't walk, these rapists, excuse me, couldn't walk in their graduation. So cheerleaders wore yellow ribbons to represent and support them. Chris Figueroa, the kid who fucking told on them, mm-hmm. had become a social pariah. When he walked across the stage at graduation, he was hissed at, booed, and called a fucking snitch. Holy shit. Where is this? Where is this again? Glen Ridge, New Jersey. So it's a small town. Rich people right? town. Yeah. Fucking yeah. wow. Mm-hmm. These rapists were referred to as, quote, our guys. These are our guys. In the late 90s, there was a book called Our Guys, The Glen Ridge Rape and the Secret Life of the Perfect Suburb that was adapted into a Lifetime movie called Our Guys Outrage at Glen Ridge, which depicted the entire thing. I I read some excerpts from the book. It's fucking incredible. I also read about the Lifetime movie, which I was going to watch, but then through what I read, I was like, this might be too difficult for me to process, so I didn't watch it. You know, obviously it's not super graphic. It originally aired on on ABC before it was on Lifetime, but it just, ugh, the whole thing is just fucking heartbreaking. So anyway, also in the community, Jamie was being painted as a seductress and blamed for the entire thing. This girl with an IQ of 64, surrounded by some of the most influential kids at school. Jesus. This trial went on for five months. Oh my fuck. The jury deliberated for 12 fucking days. That's- On March 16th, what? Okay. I just can't go ahead. On March 16th, 1993, the Scherzers, I can't say their name, but who cares? I'm not putting energy into it. The Scherzers and Archer were found guilty of first degree aggravated assault. Grober was found guilty of a third degree count of conspiracy. Grober, the only one who showed any remorse, not that that fully matters, but it does in context of how shitty these fucking other guys are. He was assigned to probation and 200 hours of community service. The other three were given indeterminate sentences in youth offense facilities not to exceed 15 years. They were free to go after posting $2,500 each in bail while their lawyers filed appeals. They all eventually entered prison to serve their time after their appeals were exhausted. Okay, she was raped March 1st, 1989. Can you give me a guess of when they went to prison? How long do you think it took before they were put in prison? I... A year? June 30th, 1997. What? I I mean, I went down a fucking rabbit hole with some of these pieces of shit. And one of these Scherzer fucking motherfucks, Kevin, was even able to go to college, okay? Went to Boston College. And at one point, a campus security guard got in touch with the police. I wasn't even gonna tell you this part, but it, it made me so angry that like, I have to tell you, a girl reported that she went on a date with this guy, okay? And then on their walk home, he shoved her into some bushes and was like, we're doing this right now. She fought him off, said no, but not before he put his hands in multiple places in her body. What? And then he jumped up and out loud declared, I'm a rapist. No joke. This was the report. I didn't see anything come of that. But like these fucking assholes had one thing after the other. This is all in the book that's written by Bernard Lefkowitz, 1997, Our Guys. Okay, just look that up if you want to read this shit. But these fucking kids, these fucking rapists, before this shit happened with Jamie, they would have parties and it really was just like they would invite girls over. They would, they were just trash. 
trash. Mm -hmm. They treated girls like shit. They would record them without consent and then put pictures of them, you know, having sex with other fucking football players at school. They would humiliate these girls. They were just fucking trash. Mm. Anyway, so they all eventually entered prison. 1997, they all go to fucking prison. Kyle's sentence had been reduced to seven years with parole eligibility after 10 months. He was released in the year 2000. He barely served any fucking time. I couldn't find out when the other two were released, but I found Kevin's sex registration information. And the last reported address I saw was on March 15th, 2011. So he at least served a decent portion of his fucking sentence. The Scherzers and Archer have since been required to register as sex offenders. I also found Kyle on fucking LinkedIn. I'm not about doxing, but he was really easy to find. (laughs) looking at you over my glasses very easy to find diving into the details of these guys especially these fucked up twins is disturbing Mm. fuck them this follows them forever if you google their names yeah you're gonna find this motherfucker's linkedin but then you're gonna find all the articles about how he raped an intellectually disabled girl 17 year old girl these guys are trash the end I don't even want to fucking talk about it. Like, I don't even like this. I'm just fucking that's so fucked up. Mm -hmm. Every single fucking part of it is so fucked up. Yeah. I fucking hate everything. Fuck them. I hope she's fucking okay. I hope she's having a a decent life. I know. Obviously, since she was publicly protected that we can't know. But yeah, I really, really fucking hope so. (sighs) But yeah, I don't want to talk about it either. Yeah. Mm. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for listening to that. Pieces of shit. Yeah. They're trash. Trash, trash. Next week. Gabe. Next week is the last episode of season three, episode 23, Silence. Silence. When a a transgendered woman is found murdered in a church, suspicion falls on a priest who resigned from a parochial school after rumors of abuse. I Mm. am not into this. Oh, my God. I've been taking notes and I'm just like the whole time i'm fucking just pissed yeah follow us on instagram at svu pod check out our patreon please join the elite squad fucking shit on facebook group it's so fun i like live for it svu pod elite squad on facebook gabe loves the group i love the group gabe participates heavily gabe fucking trolls me on that group if you post (laughs) one more thing about fucking birds Uh, this is me announcing that I will no longer respond. I see it and I will not engage with it. You already don't respond. I have to tag you in it like the next day if you haven't responded. And you're like, ah, I know, but I'm not the, even going to do that now. Okay. The twice divorced birds, though. That was hilarious. I'm going to report you for harassment um, <laughs> if you tag me in anything like that. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Join the Patreon. Um, We have a ton of cool shit. We have garbage cookies. We have friendship boats. We have (laughs) merch deals, whatever. It's super fun. You get all kinds of shit. We're going to go on a break between the third and fourth season. Just a little shorty. It's not going to be, you know, the summer break we took last summer, but we fucking needed it and it was great. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we're just going to take a little bit of a shorter break. But in that time, we're going to give you a little taste of the Patreon. So you guys can really check out what a garbage cookie is. Yeah. And for those of you that are patrons, don't worry. Our little break is not going to be a full little break. We're still going to have some stuff for you. Mm -hmm. So don't worry. All right. Thanks for your support. Hashtag little bit loud. I went on there recently and there's a couple new pods. So don't sleep on it because there's some new little indies. Yeah. Thanks, Sabrina, for all your help today. And that's it. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. (laughs) 
to the child's place. I need to get home. My programs start at 4 p.m. <laughs> okay. I'm sweating because I just watched cops. It doesn't start till 4. <laughs> Break dancing to his anonymous tip call. Yeah. Joe Parker. Oh, will they? Wow. <laughs> This is, it just takes us a really long time. And so we're, and we're like c cooking with fish grease. So we got to get this done. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Okay. Okay. Two blocks. Uh, two blocks. We're cooking with fish grease. Is that what you said? It's a phrase I like. Have we done this before? Yeah. Thanks to our Elite Squad patrons, Haley K, Sonia W, Jen. Let's make it a song. No. Haley K and Sonia W. No. No. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> Thanks to our lead squad patrons. <laughs> Haley K, Sonia W, Jenny S, Sky K, Nikki B, Marissa M, Elky H, Sarah A, Annie G, Mary D, Andrew. <laughs> Rebecca D, Miranda B, Shelby W, Lex. Emily T, Kayla W, Mallory G, Eliza W, Bonita R. Marin. Vanessa. <laughs> <laughs> Vanessa, Amy P, Jess M, Summer M, Melanie G, Courtney W, Ursula S, Emily A, Katrina C, Kate H, Uyanga, Nicole R, Julia P, Sapphire, Sapphire. <laughs> Kayla, Allison B, Shy R, Catherine M, Kate P, Jessica S, Nicole M, and Acacia V. We love you and appreciate you. Your support means everything. You guys are doing it. We got to open a bank account and we're going to have a business. This is a business for us now and it's your fault. I mean, <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, it's thanks to you. All right, cool. Yeah. 